0: Welcome to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Over the next hour, we are going to celebrate women across all venues of education and hear stories from trailblazing educators of challenge and success, highlighting that leadership is not always about a title. Now here's your host, Dr. Stephanie Duguid.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Empowering Women in Educational Leadership radio show. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Duguid. It is such a pleasure to be here with you today. So thank you so so much for tuning in. For those listening that do not know me or those that are new to the show, I always share a few details about the backstory of the Empowering Women in Educational Leadership show with you. As a lifetime educator myself, and with a mother who was a very strong teacher in a Texas high school for over 40 years, I felt it was a natural transition to highlight strong women in educational leadership so many times women assume they must have a title to be a leader which is not true at all so many women inspire guide support and empower each other those women are the transformational leaders that focus on elevating one another through mentorship whether intentional or not i wanted to highlight the great things and people supporting women in educational leadership I've been in education for over 30 years at the K-12 and higher education level as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. I am now the owner of Do Good Leadership where I'm a professional speaker, leadership and success coach and mentor, author, consultant, and of course, radio show host. My focus has shifted from working within an institution to a new focus outward where I can serve, elevate, and inspire women to be amazing leaders in education at all levels. This show is the opportunity to bridge the connection between where a woman is in education and where she wants to be. After developing those leadership skills and confidence to become that empowering transformational leader. The key is to find a strong mentor to help guide you along the way. My mother was my mentor until she died in a car accident when I was 27. I've made it my life's purpose to develop, serve, support, and empower women in educational leadership through mentorship. Therefore, I help women in education develop positive leadership skills to become that confident leader. Today is the third episode of Empowering Women in Educational Leadership, and I'm honored to have this opportunity to highlight the amazing things women are doing in education. Each show will have a guest from a different background across the country with unique perspectives to share related to empowering women in educational leadership. Our amazing guest today is Jessica Ellison. She is the Executive Director of the National Council for History Education. She earned degrees in news editorial journalism from Drake University and public history from St. Cloud State University. Jessica was a teacher educator at the Minnesota Historical Society, where she developed and delivered professional development for hundreds of teachers around Minnesota and the country. As the grant director for the same organization, they had a Library of Congress grant, which she supported K-12 social study teachers in integrating culturally relevant pedagogy with primary resources in their classroom instruction. She served as the president of the Minnesota Council for the Social Studies and was the founding member of the Minnesota Council for History Education. Currently, Jessica serves on the board of National Social Studies Supervisor Association and is serving a second term on their local school board. She and her husband live in the Twin Cities area with their four children. So please welcome Jessica Ellison.
2: Good morning. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be here.
1: You are welcome. So today we're going to go ahead and talk about three different areas, of course, empowering women, national platforms, and local service, because you do serve on a school board. So just tell us a little bit about your
2: background or maybe some personal journeys that you've had getting to where you are. Absolutely. So, uh, as you heard, I my first degree was in journalism. I always wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to get out there and be the one getting the news and I actually was in a newspaper newsroom on 9/11. And <gasps> oh so, yeah, it was it was really uh impactful on my life because I could see all the news happening at that moment. And it was it gave me a different lens for that event, but I think I had always known in my heart that history was the the journey that I wanted to take. I I was that kid when I was younger who would who loved old movies, old music, uh, loved to dress up in old clothes. I would drag my parents to historical sites and. You know, walk around with this look of awe on my face and and they were like, what? I don't understand what's happening, Duska. And so after um I left the world of journalism, I went and got a degree in public history and I started working at the Minnesota Historical Society through the National History Day program, which is a national program that's like science fair except history. And I had participated in that as a student um, for several years because I loved the idea of being able to compete in a competition about history in the past. Mm -hmm. So I started working for that program at the Minnesota Historical Society and ended up being at MNHS for 18 years. And my career changed, the trajectory changed as I was there from History Day into teacher education, where I was training teachers and serving teachers and learning from teachers in the social studies K through 12.
1: Well, and one thing you shared with me as we were talking about this conversation prior to is that you hadn't been a teacher yourself, but you have a deep appreciation for those teachers. So share that experience of working with teachers on a regular basis.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I always bring that up because I want the teachers that I'm working with to know that I've never been in their situation. I've never been in a classroom with 30, 35 kids, you know, 48 minute class periods (laughs) I've never had that experience. So everything that I have learned in my career about education has been from them, from listening to teachers, observing teachers, um, you know, being a part of the education community. And it's really developed a sense of empathy in how I look at the education world. And I've learned to speak that language, which has been really valuable in that I get to work with teachers, but also support them outside of the classroom, which I think is incredibly important for for teachers because they're busy teaching. And so I I have loved, (laughs) I have loved being an ally outside of the classroom, a little bit of a teacher fangirl. I love you teachers. You all know this. And so much of my heart work of my career has been, how can I uplift those in classroom spaces? Well, what I love is
1: that you didn't try to fake the information that you knew, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So going into a classroom, if if you say, hey, I've never done what you've done, but I completely appreciate you and I respect you and I'm learning so much from you. So you are being very receptive to those that are around you. And you even talked about, speaking the language, you know, in education, it is truly its own language. You know, it's almost like talking to a doctor.
2: <laughs> yes, all the acronyms, you know, all the initiatives and the words. And, you know, what what I found that it really comes down to is that it's about relationships. Mm -hmm. It's about building relationships with your students, if you're a teacher, and your colleagues and their families. And for someone like me, it's about building relationships of trust with teachers, that I see them and I see the thousand things they do and also understand there's a lot that I don't see about Mm -hmm. the work that they do. And that trusted relationship is the way that we help educators move forward. That's right. And so
1: there is so much about building relationships and education. That mm-hmm. that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like building relationships or if you can't build relationships, then you might end up being one of those accessories that need to go elsewhere. But in the classroom, yes. you really have to be able to build those relationships. Yes. I mean, and at all levels, really, because I'm sure that in your position now you have to build relationships.
2: Yes. I mean, in my, my new role, so I started with NCHE in December of 2022, so I'm still on the super learning curve here in this new role. Um, but I've, I've been building relationships remotely because we are a fully remote organization with not only my, my wonderful staff who live in various places around the country who do incredible work, Um, but also with teachers in places that I've never been before, people I've never met before, but also other organizations who do similar work. We all are in this together. We cannot do this work alone. And so I've been really trying over the last several months to connect with people who do similar work and begin to build that relationship. We all have our own area of expertise, which is great, but we're adjacent so, right. how can we intersect at places that's the the that is the most helpful for educators?
1: I love that statement. How can we intersect mm-hmm. that is the most benefit? So, I'm go- I'm going to use that if you don't mind. Oh yeah,
2: it's <laughs> like what is the Venn diagram? If you have teachers were all yes, Venn, what yes.
1: Is, what is the Venn diagram? <laughs> <laughs> that is perfect. So, when we first started talking, you mentioned that you were that history buff as a kid. You know, and it's funny that you say that because my husband is the exact same way. I swear that he's reincarnated from like the forties or fifties because Mm -hmm. he loves the music. He loves anything with wars and history. He's never been in the military himself, but he is a military type person. So did you have a mentor? Cause you said your parents were like, where did you come from? Did you (laughs) have a mentor that kind of led you on your path? You know, how did you, how did you get from that kid that just loved these things? You know, you shared your journey, but was there a mentor involved?
2: Yeah. I mean, history day was a really huge part of my life. When I was in high school, I felt like it was really welcoming for kids like me. Um, and my my grandpa was someone that I always leaned on and looked toward because he's the same as as he has the same interests as I do. I mean, mm-hmm. his mind is like a steel trap. He's still alive. He's almost 97 years old. He served in three wars and he remembers everything. But he <gasps> loved history too. Loves history too. And so my parents, bless them, were so supportive of everything that I ever wanted to do, but it was almost like it skipped a generation of this this interest, but I could see my grandpa and all that he had experienced from the Depression, World War II, uh the you know, the civil rights movement, the cold war. And he had lived all of these things. And so mm-hmm. I was always thinking about, well, what is it in my life, my present that I'm living that is going to be studied in the future? And I think mm-hmm. especially the last couple of years, I, I keep thinking about people teaching about the 2020s in 50 years, it's like, oh my gosh, that's going to be like a full year course. Um, so, but my grandpa was really inspirational for me. Um, I had other mentors throughout and I really loved what you said, um, earlier about leadership, not being a title because Mm -hmm. leadership is wherever you are, you can use your power, take your power and use your influence to help people. And one of my great mentors was actually not a historian. Um, His name is David Lanigren, and he was a professor at Macalester College in St. Paul, Minnesota, and he's a geographer. And he was really instrumental in connecting the world of academic geography and K-12 geography. He was an academic that spoke K-12 language, Mm -hmm. and he always spoke to me like I was an equal. And I'm several generations younger. Um, You know, when I first met him, I was still new in my career at the Historical Society. But he always talked to me like I was an equal. And it it took me aback for a minute because he had all these degrees and all this experience and all these people who knew him around the world. And who was I? Just this, you know, person trying to make my way without a teaching license, right? Right. Um, And that has stuck with me. That it doesn't matter how old you are or how much experience you have or who you know. It's about how you can sit there and be with people and listen and then learn from people, no matter your situation and their situation. So, you know, Dave is is a real has been a real mentor for me for for a long time. Well, and
1: and you talk about just sitting and being and listening. You know, whenever you go and talk to somebody that maybe they're just this powerhouse or a legislator or somebody that has this big title, you always get nervous about, Oh my gosh, how am I going to talk to them? You know, they're the same as we are. They get dressed in the morning, you know, they sleep in a bed at night, they eat the same type of meals that we do. And it's just a person. It's just being able to connect on that personal level level. It's the humanization really you know, we put them on the pedestals. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) I always do
1: that. You know, and then you talked about, um, and I loved how you talked about your grandpa, how he experienced all those things. Mm -hmm. You know, my dad, he lives with us now and he used to work for NASA for 25 years. And so, you know, space programs, you know, he did Mm -hmm. all those things. But before that, and I love the story and I know he's listening, so he's probably smiling right now, (laughs) but he went through the military and he learned about computers before computers were popular. Mm -hmm. And so when he went to school at Louisiana Tech, he was an undergraduate, but he was teaching graduate level computer classes as an undergraduate student because Uh he had the experience. And so that dynamic, could you imagine being a student and teaching the math department how to do these things? (laughs) So some of his stories, it's just things that you want to sit there and go, "Oh my gosh!" I call him Forrest Gump because he has all these amazing stories and connections. But he, and I call him that lovingly because he's had so many amazing interactions with incredible events and people. Yeah, so I can and completely relate to that.
2: Yeah, it's just a matter of being real and being who you are. And you know, I'm I'm laughing as you're saying this because that's completely how I am. You know, the first time I ever interacted with some historians that I had read their books and watch them on documentaries. <laughs> and I have to sit here and remind myself, okay, be cool, be cool. You know, don't don't, don't lose it in front of these historians. And they've been lovely and they've right. been real. And so I, I think that that's an important thing to remember is just be who you are because who you are is enough, um, you know, no matter where you are. And so I think that whether it's, you know, my grandpa, you know, Lieutenant Colonel Bill Warren. I just want to give him a a shout out. Um, Or it's, you know, my, my mentor, David Lanagrin, or it's myself or it's that new undergraduate history student who is learning all of this for the first time. We all have something to teach and learn. And one of the greatest compliments I I ever received, and this is hard for me to talk about compliments. And Mm -hmm. I think that's goes for a lot of women. She told me I was a great learner. And ah. that has been, ever since she said that to me, that has been in my brain as something that I lean on in difficult moments in my head or in the real world that I'm a great learner. I love to listen to people, to learn from them wherever they might be, and to shift my ways of thinking. We ask mm-hmm. kids to do this every single day. We ask them to shift their ways of thinking and try new things And if we're not modeling that as adults, we're doing them a disservice. Yes. So I would say that one of the best things that anybody can do for themselves is to be a great learner.
1: Well, being a great learner, being a great listener is huge. And then, as you said, being able to be that model for others. So all of these are great ways to empower others, teaching people how to be empowered and just elevating others. You know, I think that you and I are on the same page where it's not always about me. Mm -mm. It's not about me. It's about how can I support others so that they can reach their goals? Yes. It's rarely about me.
2: That's right. (laughs) Which is fine with me, which is fine with me.
1: (laughs) So, no, I love that, that um, that was your compliment is that you're a great learner you know i always have people tell me that i'm the most organized person that they've they've been around so i always joke because i say that i'm cdo and if you don't know what cdo is it's ocd in alphabetical order as it should be
2: <laughs> oh i so, love things that are
1: alphabetized oh my goodness yes 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 So we've talked about a lot of different things here, you know, talking about the influence of different generations and, you know, how some things skip generations and learning the language and being a mentor. And when we come back, we're going to talk about um, how you have been on a national platform and what we can do to keep sharing those great things. So we will be back in about two minutes.
2: voice america at facebook.com forward slash voice america for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts
0: meet dr stephanie Duguid, the renowned motivational speaker leadership and success coach author and radio show host with an impressive 30 years of experience in education spanning k-12 and higher education as a teacher athletic trainer and administrator With her dynamic presence and inspiring messages, Dr. Stephanie captivates audiences from classrooms to conference halls. Learn how to focus on developing positive leadership skills and confidence to become the transformative and inspirational leader you always wanted to be from any position you hold. Reach out to Dr. Stephanie today. When there is a war on talent, you have to go to combat. What is Career Combat? It's a show that airs at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on Fridays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel that acts as your destination for real career talk and real career advice. Hear from the best and brightest in the biz as your host, Kelly Combat, gives you the answers you need. Career Combat, Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Have a question for Dr. Stephanie or her guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back. We are talking to Jessica Ellison, the Executive Director of the National Council for History Education. So we were just talking about empowering others through these unique ways of just modeling and listening and, you know, just being real with somebody that we talk to. And so now we're going to shift to your position at a National Council um, as a woman. So tell me, tell me about that experience. How how has it been going since December? (laughs)
2: <laughs> um it's alternately terrifying and empowering um <laughs> so you know 18 years is a long time to be in a job and that's where I was at my previous role at the Minnesota Historical Society and I loved it loved that work but I was comfortable and mm-hmm. I think every once in a while your brain just needs a jolt And you need to be challenged to do things that are within your world, but not. And so the example that I've been using is, you know, before when I worked at a large institution, if I had something related to finance, I would fill out some forms and I would send them up to the fourth floor and they would magically something would happen and I would have money. Well, now that's me. And I have to, as a historian, as a person who looks at history, learn about numbers. And that's been a struggle for me. So you know, it's we are a very small nonprofit. We have four full-time staff and a couple of, of contract part-time staff. And so we do a lot of these things that a nonprofit does on our own. So since I've started, I've really tried to focus on streamlining the organizational processes. And it's things like bringing in Google Drive. Um, it's things like embarking on a strategic visioning process with the board and with the staff creating a new website, which launched yesterday. We are so excited about this new website, ncheteach.org. And so it's just been a lot of things that I didn't know I could do. Mm -hmm. And I can, and not without struggle, not without doing a lot of reading and leaning on the NCHE staff. John, Kathleen, Shauna, all the folks that work alongside me, but also other people in my field, people that I've worked with in the past, and also my husband. Um, He has been the rock through all of this. He was in management for a long time. And so when I get stuck on something, I have to call downstairs and say, can you help me with this? Um, But all of that learning has been really empowering for me too.
1: Well, and and you talked about several different things here. So let's unpack a couple of them. Okay. One, you were saying that you were comfortable in your previous job. And I think that that's how so many of us get. We get comfortable and then we look at our goals and we go, oh, that's unreachable. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. But it's stepping out of that comfort zone. And as you mentioned, that jolt, that's the that's the change that's yes. <laughs> coming in. That's where you're having to learn and develop and grow and all of those other pieces. And so a lot of us do get comfortable. We we don't like change. No. And and so did you have any training, any insight, any any preparation for this position coming into it? Or was it just oh, I'm here now? Now let me figure out what to do. <laughs>
2: I think yes and no. Um, I know the field. Mm -hmm. I know the history education field. I've been working with teachers for a long time. I know a lot of the other organizations that are now my peer institutions. And I have a lot of resources in the field. That was not the struggle. The struggle was, am I ready for a more visible leadership role? Am I ready for the things that I don't know that I'm not ready for? Um, and it's it's a really challenging time right now in the history education world. A lot of teachers are feeling pressure in various parts of the country about the histories that they want to teach and know that their students need to know, but are getting pushback from various various voices. So am I, was I ready to be a voice on a more national level mm-hmm. for that? And I I was scared, am scared. But we have to do these things that scare us, and we also have to make sure that we are using our voices as we are able, especially when there are individuals, teachers who are in positions that maybe they can't push back, that we are the ones speaking out and saying, we support teachers. So I would say that I knew the field. I knew kind of what I was getting into, Mm -hmm. but there's been so much that I've learned on the job.
1: So- I bet that a lot of others resonate with you that they're probably scared in a new position or they feel resistance. Mm-hmm. And so some of that where the resistance is again knowing the information that you need to know and becoming that expert so that you can share what you need to share to go in a positive direction.
2: Yeah, so, and I I almost didn't apply for this job. I thought really? there's there no way that I'm qualified to do this to do this job because of the management aspect of running a nonprofit organization. And my husband finally said, just do it, just give it a try. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was a little surprised. Yep. You know, that, that I was chosen for this role, but it's been an amazing fit, I think. And I hope that it continues to be, um, because I love this work. And I think if you love the work and you're willing to be a little scared, Mm -hmm. It can be really powerful. Well, it's when you're uncomfortable is when you grow. Yeah, right. A lot of people don't
1: realize that. And they don't, they're like, Mm -hmm. oh, great. So I have to be out of my comfort zone to grow. Yes, you do. uh And I love that you call on your husband quite a bit because I do the same thing. We've been married for 25 years and, you know, he's the first person I call for everything. You know, we're each other's rock. We do everything together. Mm -hmm. We work together, all of those things. And you mentioned I just have to call downstairs. So those listening, (laughs) she works from home.
2: (laughs) Yes, I do work from home.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, did you ever feel that imposter syndrome? Oh, every
2: day. <laughs> every so, single so day. Share, share, share that experience with us. Yeah. So I've I've struggled with my my mental health almost my entire life. And I'm really open about that because I think it's something that we need to talk about. And we need to make sure that there's not a stigma attached to struggling with anxiety and depression and the various other things that, that really just get inside our brain. And we, it's easy to get lost in our brains. And so part of that for me has always been imposter syndrome in in the thoughts that I'm not good enough, I'm not experienced enough, I'm not talented enough, I'm not enough, enough, enough of anything. Mm -hmm. And so I, I look to history for lessons. That's where so much of my inspiration comes from. And one of my favorite examples that I share with educators when we think about when we want to do things to make change or to, um, you know be an influence in the world, is the Montgomery bus boycott. So you know the Montgomery bus boycott we all know about, especially as it relates to Rosa Parks and Rosa Parks, who you know was a, a black woman, sat down on the bus, was arrested. Montgomery bus boycott started. Well, here's the thing, we don't all have to be Rosa Parks. We can't all be Rosa Parks. But the Montgomery bus boycott was not won by Rosa Parks. It was won by the hundreds of individuals who every single day for a year chose to not get on the bus. And it was difficult. They had to walk. They had to carpool. They had to find different ways to get to work. But they didn't get on the bus. And because of all of those individuals, some of whom we don't know their names, we don't know their stories, they made that happen. And so when I start to feel imposter syndrome, I'm like, okay, how do I not need to get on the bus today? <laughs> and, and and some days that. it's easier than others. Um, but a number of years ago, my therapist said, you need a mantra yes. to help you get through. And so my mantra is, I am useful. I am competent. And so when I start to struggle with imposter syndrome or you know this idea that I can't do this work. It's, I'm useful. I'm competent. I'm doing things to help people through the field that I love. Well, and I
1: think that that is so important. You know, you talk about mental health. It has been such a misnomer for years and years. Now it's coming about COVID. That's one of the positive things. that has really helped us understand more about mental health. And I was talking to a group of educators this past weekend and talking about experience in the classroom post COVID. And there's so much about self care. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have to care for the students and make sure that they're okay, but the teachers and educators and administrators, they need to focus on self care as well. So one thing that I shared with them is if you look at the term wellness, you know, Mm -hmm. what does it start with? And most people go, oh, it starts with well. Well, go even closer to the front. It starts with we, Mm -hmm. and so wellness, In order to stay well, it incorporates we. And if we change that we to I, that whole word becomes illness. Mm. And so what it's showing is that if you're trying to do everything by yourself, if you're taking on the world and taking on your job and taking on the stresses, you're going to be ill. Mm -hmm. But if you know that you have a support system, if you're working with others, if you rely on doctors and, you know, groups to hold you accountable and have your own mantras and affirmations, that's we, that's wellness. Yes. And so I love that you had a mantra. I know that um, my previous guest shared one of her mantras as well. And so those are so important because we don't always talk positively to ourselves. We make a point to talk positively to those around us. But we sometimes forget about ourselves. So I love that you talked about
2: self-care and making sure that, you know, we are enough. Well, and I like that you bring in the we and the understanding that we cannot do this alone. And I used to say that a lot when I was serving as president of the Minnesota Council for the Social Studies, which is our local social studies chapter. Um, And I used to tell teachers to find your social studies family. Mm hmm. And it could be the people that you teach with in your building or for a lot of rural teachers. They're the only social studies teacher in their building. So who is your family? Who can you reach out to and lean on and just talk to somebody who understands the world that you live in? And that is so valuable and healing Mm -hmm. for teachers, especially in this moment.
1: That's right. That is absolutely right. And the other thing that I loved is that you said you look to history for the lessons because right now so many people look to social media Mm -hmm. or they look to maybe some friends that maybe aren't positive influences Mm-hmm. So just out there, those that are are looking at social media for um, their lessons and trying to get that positivity, just remember people put all the A side of their record on social media. And for those that are too old or too young to know what that means, <laughs> old records had an A side and a B side. The A side was the popular song and the B side was the not so much popular song. So social media tends to be the A side. Mm-hmm. Just realize that everybody has their own B side that they're going through right now too.
2: Yes, absolutely. So, and I history is full of humans. I think that's what we need to keep remembering is that it it wasn't black and white. Nothing was inevitable. These were human beings making decisions at the time based on the information that they had and their own lived experience.
1: Without the internet.
2: Without the internet. (laughs) Until recently. Um, And (laughs) we have to be able to understand the past with some historical empathy and so the work that I did at MNHS about culturally relevant pedagogy, it's really about seeing the world through a lens of, of CRP and ensuring that students' lived experiences are mirrored in the instruction and making sure that they're able to uh, examine and critique the narrative and the status quo. And so it, it really engages students, and I think it, it engages teachers too, in thinking about how am I looking at the past? Is it through solely my own lens? Am I bringing in other lenses? How am I reflecting different experiences in the past? And then how am I learning from that? And then how am I challenging what I might have learned? You know, we, we come across that all the time in history where, you know, things will, will get passed down through legend or writing or, or what have you about the past that's not actually accurate, <laughs> you know, right. but it's part of people's subconscious. And mm-hmm. so it, it's a constant state of unlearning mm-hmm. and relearning. And I think having that culturally relevant pedagogy lens of the work of Dr. Gloria Ladson-Billings is really life-changing for for those of us who are in history and the social studies, but really any any role in it. Right.
1: Education. Well, and it's like the telephone game. By the time the conversation Mm -hmm. gets to you it's completely different and so it's possible that things in history have been the same way yes and so you talk about having a lens and reflecting in different ways and and thinking about what you've learned you know communication is a lot like that too is that there Mm -hmm. are different perspectives and there are different experiences and so a lot of people forget those pieces when they're talking to somebody because if i'm talking to you and you're saying things about history I'm thinking about my own experience in my history class or in talking with my husband or watching mm-hmm. some of the the movies that we watch. But my experiences and perspectives are building my story in my mm-hmm. mind, which is completely different from yours. We could be talking about the same event, but have two different movies going on in our head as to what's going on. And so yeah. that is so interesting.
2: Yeah, there's a great activity that I used to do with teachers when I did teacher professional development, where I would have them... Um, They would all be in the same room, you know, 30-some teachers, and I would have them write down a description of the room that we were sitting in or draw a picture of the room we were sitting in. And what's fabulous about that is that, of course, nobody's description is the same, yet they're all sitting in the same room at the same time. But some people will comment on the colors or some people will comment on the people in the room. And what that really shows is that people in history have experienced maybe the same thing or have a shared past, but with different lenses and different experiences.
1: I absolutely love that activity. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to steal that for something. It's really
2: fun. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's good it for is. students, too. Well,
1: yeah. It really shows different perspectives. You know, Ooh. I was sitting, I was sitting in a restaurant with a friend of mine, and we were in Flagstaff, Arizona. We were at a booth. There was a window where the cars were driving right here, an entrance in front of me, and an entrance behind me. And she was facing me. And she goes, oh, my gosh, it's raining so hard outside. And she was looking behind me. And I was looking and I go, it's not raining. I don't Mm -hmm. see. There's no rain. She goes, no, it's raining. I'm like, no, it's not. So I turned around out of the booth and I looked behind me and it was pouring on that side of the (laughs) restaurant but it was not on the other side. So both of our perspectives, our perspectives were different, but both of our responses were correct. So
2: I just thought that that was so funny. Yes. (laughs) With perspectives. And that's that's being a historian all the time. You know, it's looking at these different um, oral or written or object pieces from the past and trying to construct a narrative. And history is a living thing, which is what's so beautiful about it is that history education is all about looking and re-looking at things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with the 9-11 anniversary that was happened so recently, I have to remind myself the students that are in school now were not born. I know. And so how Mm -hmm. do we help them understand an event that we all remember very, very clearly? Yes. And they're going to remember in a different way because it's through the lens of something that happened in the past. Well, 9-11 was
1: huge. And that was about the time that I lost my mom. So it was doubly impactful for me. And then, of course, the Challenger Mm -hmm. explosion. I was in junior high when that happened. And then I think about my kids. And they were both born after smartphones were here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So they don't know a world before digital media. Exactly. But we could keep talking about this forever. (laughs) We need to get a break. And when we come back, we are going to be talking about Jessica's experience on the local school board and how that has really influenced her. So back in two minutes.
2: Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today.
0: Meet Dr. Stephanie Duguid, the renowned motivational speaker, leadership and success coach, author, and radio show host with an impressive 30 years of experience in education, spanning K-12 and higher education as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. With her dynamic presence and inspiring messages, Dr. Stephanie captivates audiences from classrooms to conference halls. Learn how to focus on developing positive leadership skills and confidence to become the transformative and inspirational leader you always wanted to be from any position you hold. Reach out to Dr. Stephanie today. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Have a question for Dr. Stephanie or her guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show.
1: All right, welcome back. We are continuing our conversation with Jessica Ellison, who is the executive director of the National Council for History. And so far, we've talked about empowering women and her position on a national platform. And so now we're going to shift to another experience you have that is a voted, correct? You were voted Mm -hmm. on the local school board. So, share with us a little bit of experience about being on a local school board.
2: Well, in, in Minnesota, we would say it's interesting, <laughs> <laughs> which means it's all manner of things. Um, so I, I first ran for school board in 2017. Okay. Um, after the 2016 election, I really thought we need more women in leadership roles in elected office. And so I was thinking about it. It's like, what, what are my skills? And it's like my whole world is education. And we live in a district where we have four children will be in this district for many years. And so I decided to run for school board, not having any clue what a school board actually does. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of times when I first ran for school board where people would say things like, well, there's too many women in education. We need more men in education. Or the, this other person who asked me, well, how are you going to balance being a school board member and, you know, with your family? And I said, do you ask the men the same question? Mm-hmm. And it it really kind of blew me away. I didn't I didn't expect it, and I should have expected it. I guess, I suppose. But so I, I ran for office in 2017, and I was one of four elected. It's a seven person board, and I always tell people that the the moment I realized that I didn't know what I didn't know was my first couple of months on the school board. One of the things we have to approve is the dairy contract because we have have to buy our milk from somewhere. And that's something that the school board does is we approve who we buy our milk from. And I remember approving the dairy contract and I was like, huh, that is not what I thought I would be doing. Um, (laughs) But what's been really remarkable about my time on on the school board is that there's been a lot of things that have happened. For example, in 2019, We passed a bond referendum that up until that point was the largest bond referendum in the state's history, which allows us to do desperately needed facilities work. So unifying our high schools, building a new elementary school, that stuff is really hard to get money for because of the way that, that districts are funded. And so that was really exciting. Well, then COVID hit and it was a completely different world serving on the school board because all of a sudden it wasn't just issues of, you know, what programs do we have in our schools and how are we building these new facilities? It was masking Mm -hmm. and it was virtual learning. And it really transformed the way that I Thought about my role as a public servant. I've never thought of myself as a politician, always a public servant. Um, it's a nonpartisan role. We don't run um, on a party. Mm-hmm. But that experience during COVID changed the type of leadership that was needed. Mm-hmm. And it was a little scary. Um, when we started going back in person to our board meetings, I started bringing my husband with me, and he would sit in the front row. And he would be there to make sure I had someone to walk me to my car afterward because of the lack of civility that I'm sure you saw in school boards around the country that was happening here, where people were so angry about the masking measures and the the virtual learning. Um, I mean, they called us all kinds of names, right? Nazis, fascists, all those things. Um you know, and then there was right after that, part of that was the, you know, the kind of focus on critical race theory and all these other challenges. So I ran again for re-election in 2021, which <laughs> in retrospect, um, <laughs> but I I kept thinking about it. It's like, do I want to put myself and my family through this again? Because, I mean, our kids are young. When I first ran for school board, our youngest was four. Um, But but I, I decided I wasn't ready to let go because there's a time when your leadership is really needed. And you need certain people at certain times. And I felt that I had the knowledge of how a school board worked after one term. And I'd had that experience of governing during COVID that if not me, then who? And so I ran again. It was really difficult. Um, It was a huge challenge for my mental health and on my family. Um, I I did end up getting reelected. And at the beginning of my second term, I was elected chair. So I've been chair of the school board for the last almost two years. I must have loved your leadership style. (laughs) you are now chair. I like an efficient meeting. <laughs> that's how <right, laughs> I like to get right. stuff
1: done. <laughs> that that's what we like. Well that's that's one of the best things about being a mom and wearing a lot of hats is that you do things efficiently. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the best thing about having women in leadership positions is that they know how to multitask and handle a lot of things at once and you know match different schedules and all of those things. But you shared your experience, and and I'm sure that that's what a lot were experiencing across the country, especially during COVID. You know, even at the college where I taught, there were so many different perspectives, views, you know, insights, um, opinions that came out. And of course, as schools, schools have a requirement to follow the standards that are provided by the local mm-hmm. health or the national health organizations. Mm-hmm. And so whether or not those entities, the school board, the college board, really believe that themselves as the individual, as a representative of that district or of that board, you have to follow those policies. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest challenge that that a lot of the community members don't understand. Is that, you know, we have it kind of black and white. I know that there's a lot of gray in there, especially with something like COVID. And, you know, and there's so many different opinions about that. I don't want to get into that here. But (laughs) knowing that on an educational board, Mm -hmm. you are representing the board. You have got Mm -hmm. to remove your own personal agendas. Yes. And for some people, that is almost impossible.
2: Yeah, and so and how difficult is that <laughs> It is hard it is hard you know especially as a history person and I always want to like what are we doing in social studies right now? No it's not about me. it's about my community and the students in the school and the teachers in the school and you know and what I what I learned in my through my first term on the school board is that a board is about 30,000 feet governance. We only have, we have very specific things that we do. We approve a budget. We set a strategic plan. We hire and evaluate the superintendent. We don't hire teachers. We don't do anything with the day-to-day. That is not our role. When people come to us in the community and say, hey, why are you doing this? My job is to direct them to the right person in the district, which frustrates some people because like, well, what are you doing then? What is even your job? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. our job is governance, and that means removing yourself and your perspectives, but also keeping in mind that it's good to have people with different lived experiences on a school board so that we can have civilized discussion, which we do. We don't always agree, but then once we vote, the board stands together, unified after a vote. So we change start times, for example recently which has been a big point of discussion um and we it was not a unanimous vote but after the vote we all stand behind it right well and i
1: love that and it sounds like you have built a really good relationship with that board mm-hmm. and and i love that you said if not me then who when you went to run again because you know you realize that a lot of people want to complain about things but if they're not voting for you or you're not taking a position where you assist as a member mm-hmm. then then what do people have to complain about if they're not involved in that process? And yeah. it's, it's
2: a voice, right? I mean, you have to have a voice. There's And there's so many different ways to get involved. Um, you know, Not everybody wants to run for public office and I totally get it. And I always say that really, we need more empaths in public office but we don't run because we're empaths and it's draining for us to feel all these emotions all the time. So it's not for everybody, but there are so many other things that you can do to contribute. Um, And, but I do think that people who are in education should always consider running for school board because we need somebody who understands the complexity of a school district and all that it takes to educate a child and all the people that it takes to educate a child to be that voice of governance, and right now the board that I serve on, um, there are six women and one man on my school board, mm-hmm. and probably get it's, a lot done. <laughs> it's it's a beautiful thing. Um, it's a beautiful thing. So it's been a real pleasure serving on the school board, um, but it's it's been challenging.
1: Well, and it brings that, that thought process that I always think about when I was in the classroom is that I would have parents that would complain about things that I would do or what was going on in the classroom. But again, they have one perspective and maybe they're getting only information from their individual student and not seeing the big picture. You know, that's part of what you're doing is, you know, people just see the district, all right, it's a school and they have curriculum and they've got teachers, but they don't know much else about how it's run. Mm -hmm. And so you're seeing the nuts and bolts of it and having to, you know, kind of guide them so that they meet all of their perspectives and all of their roles that they have to have. So I love that. And then I love that you brought up an empath. I just recently found out that I was one as well. So it makes so much more sense now. And we can talk about that a little bit later. (laughs) So in all of your experiences with working with the Minnesota Historical Society, working with the um, National Council for History Educators, and on the school board, how important is professional development? And how do you go
2: about that? You always have to learn. Um, learning, it it cannot be something that ends with your high school experience or your college degree. We have to keep growing our brain. And so I do a lot of reading. Um, I do a lot of listening. I go to conferences where I get to learn from other individuals. Um, you know, I go to different conferences depending on the role, but, being in the same space, especially now when we're kind of leaning past COVID, getting to be in the same space and the same energy as people who have this knowledge is really rejuvenating and fills my bucket in a way that maybe I didn't know I needed. Um, because we're all coming with different levels of filled buckets, right? That's right. And different things. And so you just never know. What thing is going to spark, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to try that. I'm going to adapt that. And teachers are masters of adaptation. So that's, that's another right. thing I've learned from them is how can I take what I learn and adapt it in a way for whatever, you know, whatever role I'm focusing on at that moment.
1: What I love that, that you said being involved in professional development, and it doesn't have to be a conference all the time, but sometimes if you go to a conference, then it's that we piece, right? You realize that you're mm-hmm. not alone in whatever you're doing, and it helps refill that bucket. And it helps give you energy. And that's what I loved as well. So if you could give any words of wisdom or encouragement, because we're almost out of time here, what would you like to share with anyone listening today?
2: Yeah, there's three things that kind of came to mind when I was thinking about that. Um, First is find your people. And your people could could mean any different number of things. But find your people who will listen to you and support you. Take your power you've got power. I mean, I I spent, you know, a long time kind of on the bottom of the ladder ish in my previous organization, but I had power. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing is call people in, not out. I think we're so quick to judge. And we're so quick to say, well, you did that wrong. Let's call them in. Everybody's on a different point in their learning journey. I have had to humble myself and listen and learn. You need to give that grace to other people too. So for those that are listening, where can they find you? So they can find the National Council for History Education at ncheteach.org. We are also on the various socials at History Ed. We have a conference coming up in March in Cleveland. It's our annual conference, March 7th through the 9th, which you can access on our, our website. We also have a number of great programs, like we've got free webinars. We have a, a weekly webcast on Friday mornings with jo- Joanne Freeman from Yale, which is marvelous. So there's a lot of great stuff that NCHE is doing out in the world, and we would love to see you as part of our community. Love that. So
1: about out of time. And I just want to thank you, Jessica, so much for being a part of this. I'm sure that we're going to have a few more pieces of conversation as we let the listeners go. But for those of you that are wanting to join me in my space, come on Facebook and look at Do Good Leadership and become a part of my group. You can also find me at www.stephanie.com. Director Duga, I'm sorry, Dr. Stephanie Duga.com. That was my old website. But with a life of experience in education, I would love to reach out to you and connect. So stay tuned for next week when we are going to have Brenda Jones, who has been a non-traditional student and a first-generation student, talk about her experiences in coming back to school. So be sure to turn and tune in next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time on the Voice American Network. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we hope to see you
0: next week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. We hope you'll join us next week for another inspiring episode.